ladies, it's Brittany Brazel. The Lord has given me a passion for motherhood and homemaking. From that passion, a ministry has birthed no higher calling. There is no higher calling on my life than to be wife to Simeon and mama to my littles. I still have so much to learn, but as I continue to grow, it is my desire to share the truths God is teaching me. And thanks for joining me back on the No Higher Calling podcast. I have my husband, Simeon, back on the podcast with me today. Hello. I love having Simeon on the podcast. He is just the best. He's the, he's the best husband, and he has helped me so much in my walk with Christ. And um, while No Higher Calling is a ministry for women, as we have pursued Christ in this calling, it has really spilled over into a passion to help um, the home. And the home is not comprised just of mothers and grandmothers and women, um, but of fathers as well. And Simeon's joined me on the podcast before in previous episodes um, where we've kind of just chatted back and forth about various topics, um, usually topics that are more relevant to the husband and wife as a team and as a unit. Um, but some people have asked recently if he could join periodically um I guess leading the conversation a little bit more um, so that they can get their husbands to hop in on the episodes. Um, So that's what this is. Um, This is an episode you'll hear from both of us throughout, but it's a little more Simeon-led. So if your husband is not listening, this might be a good time to go grab him or to put this on pause until you have an opportunity that the two of you can listen together. But today's topic is dads and homeschooling. All right, guys. So I know that um, <clears throat> when Brittany comes to get me to listen to a podcast, my immediate reaction is, I don't want to listen to a girl's podcast. Okay, so I get it. Um, so There's let's, such depth there. <laughs> so let's toss it. that. We'll toss that idea because I'm, I'm, the ladies get to listen in today. I'm more talking to the guys today, um, even though it's not necessarily a men's podcast, but uh, that's what we're doing. And the ladies just get the benefit of joining in. So we're going to have a conversation, you and I. Um, Like we said, broader spectrum, this helps the home, specifically the homeschooling home, I guess. Right. So this is a conversation of dads and homeschooling. We have an idea, and I think it comes from generations before us, and so it's not necessarily our generation's fault, but we have an idea that the man goes to work and he comes home, and if he does a whole bunch of stuff with the kids that he's somehow effeminate, um, or that he is allowing his wife to run him over or something like that. Um, and I know that when, when my wife and I, we had our first little one, I was resistant. I think not that I didn't love my little girl. Obviously I did. Um, but I was resistant to do some of the normal householdy type tasks because I thought it somehow took away from my manly freedom or some such nonsense. Um, but the point being that, homeschooling is not something that you should automatically assume is not your job. And um, I will put this caveat in here. Brittany does 99% of the homeschooling in our house. Um, But I wanted to make it clear that dad's not off the hook just because um, mom does a lot of the schooling. Schooling is an incredibly important part of a child's life, uh, especially the early development stages. And if it's important to the child's life, it should be important to the child's father. And so I want to go through some things. I looked up a whole bunch of statistics. I'm going to blast through them. So if you need to rewind, do you do so? Um, but I want to blast through these because I want to make it in, incredible. Uh, I want to make an impression on your brain um, as to how important you are, Dad. 
So here we go. Students with two parents operating in supportive roles are 52% more likely to enjoy school and get straight A's than students whose parents are disengaged with what is going on at school. This is especially the case during the earliest years of schooling in kindergarten through fifth grade when students with active parents are almost twice as likely to succeed. Once students enter middle school, the effect diminishes slightly, possibly because they are at maturing during this time, but there are still there is still a 22% difference. That comes from Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, The Story of Success, which came out in 2008. Um, so is this next thing. It says, interestingly, as far as behavior is concerned, being held back or expelled, having a supportive mother makes a slightly more positive difference than having a, supporting fa- a supportive father. However, having a supportive father leads to slightly higher grades than having a supportive mother. So just something interesting, which is understandable because when people are going through a hard time, they're not typically looking to their dad. They're looking to their mom, the comforter of the family, right? Um, But the supportive dad, it says statistically, allows people to have slightly higher grades, which is very interesting to me. Um, From fatherhood.gov, preschoolers with involved fathers have stronger verbal skills than those with less involved fathers. Girls who have a close, warm relationship with their father have stronger math Uh, skills, and abilities. Boys with highly involved fathers in their lives receive higher grades and perform a year above their expected age level on their achievement tests. This is from the Fatherhood Institute. Students with fathers who read to them are 20% more likely to succeed than students who have only the mother or no one who reads to them. Students who regularly talk about their school with their fathers are 65% less likely to drop out or resist getting higher education than students who only talk to the mother or someone else or no one. Students who have the father living in the same household are 32% less likely to experience bullying. Students who have the father living in the home are 38% less likely to give in to peer pressure and to do drugs or other harmful activities. Female students with active fathers are 78% less likely to become pregnant before they have finished the 8th grade and 66% less likely to become pregnant before they have finished the 12th grade. Male students with active fathers are 72% less likely to bully others or become victims of long-term bullying. Male students with active fathers are 13% more likely to succeed in STEM subjects than homes with only an active mother, and 45% more likely than homes with no active parent. Female students with active fathers are 36% more likely to succeed in STEM subjects than homes with only an active mother, and 54% more likely than homes with no active parent. So those are all just pure statistics, and numbers are only numbers until they apply to your home. Um, And just you being active in your home does not mean that none of these things will be true of your kids. But what it does mean is that on a global scale, fathers being active in in their child's education or even just present in their home makes an enormous impact on the student's education, on the child's education. So as a parent, if you're any kind of decent parent, you want your children to succeed. You want them to do well. You want them to do well in school because you care about them, because you love them. 
Um, but if the statistics are to be believed, you simply being present or tuned in at all in any measure gives your child an advantage over other children. But a father who is actively involved gives your family a significant advantage. So you probably know just from us tackling this topic, we are a homeschooling family. Now we are on the precipice of that. Our daughter is in first grade. We're just starting. But Simeon was homeschooled for a while. I was homeschooled. We are very passionate about pursuing this for our family. Um, But there are so many ways in which you can homeschool. And as we have pursued this in our own home and really um, just learned and been educated on what education is, Um, We have realized that education is broader than school or academia. Um, Really, and I think Simeon's going to talk, we're probably bridging into this now, that when we talk about dads and homeschooling, this is so much more than academics. Um, We homeschool, yes, for academic reasons. Um, But more than that, we homeschool for discipleship reasons. Um, And we believe that education is a lifelong pursuit, that learning can happen in in everything, in every aspect of life. And that doesn't mean that, um, you know, everywhere we go, we have our noses in a workbook. Um, Education looks a lot different for our family, um, different ideals that we hold. But because to us, you know, I just want to clarify that homeschooling is not a term that we're using to define a nine to three or an eight to three um, very segmented portion of our life as this is school. Um, The overarching picture is that homeschooling, education, academics, whatever you want to call it, um, this is actually woven into the fabric of our family. So this isn't maybe even just dads and homeschooling, but dads and learning, dads engaging with their children in their family culture, in their family environment, um, to really promote and assist the wife in the learning atmosphere of the home. How much more likely are they going to be to be genuinely interested in school if you are genuinely interested in their school, in their learning? How much more likely are they going to be to be genuinely interested in the things of God if you are genuinely interested in the things of God, not just for yourself, but for them and for their life. We have an approach to schooling that is far larger than the regurgitation of information. Um, we could teach our kids to memorize a bunch of facts, and we could teach them to to just you know throw that all up on a piece of paper. Um, which is what I learned to do when I was in school was to assimilate a ton of information and then just regurgitate it all over a piece of paper and call it a report. Um, that's not learning. That's not really learning. That's just memorization. We take a whole, a whole child approach to teaching the child. They are a person and they need to be taught completely. And that begins by discipling that person in the things of the Lord. I've currently been reading through Educated the Wholehearted Child by Clay and Sally Clarkson, which is just a phenomenal resource. could not recommend it more. Um, but Clay Clarkson gives the goal of home education, his version of the goal, but I thought it was so powerful. His goal was to raise spiritually mature children who have both the will and the skill to learn and the desire and ability 
to keep learning, which that, that's what Simeon was saying um, in, in the vision that we have for education within our home is to, to give them the desire, the diligence, the perseverance, and the abilities to learn. But beyond that, to, de- to have them desire to keep learning. So with that goal in mind, the the end accomplishment, what we're seeking to achieve, um, what we might determine as success would look different from um, an ideal that says grades are everything or scholarships are everything or um, a, a very academic pursuit. Now, I don't, I say that not to take away any from the academics. We want our children to do well and to learn and to um, excel at, at academic things. Um, but there's a much broader vision in our hearts for what we hope to accomplish in home education. And the education of a child's mind is secondary to the growth of their Christian walk in life. Um, the education of their soul, if you will, though education may not be the right word for that. We, we're looking for a well-rounded individual who is grounded in the truth. And from that worldview, being rooted and grounded in the truth, can then explore the creation that God built and allowed. Uh, their mind can only process the information after they understand some things about God. And so it's our desire to start with theology and then seep everything else. Everything else will be attached to the baseline theology. Well, I think it's all directly connected there. You know, as the spiritual development is happening, um, that that brings it. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and with man. Um, as that spiritual maturity is developing in their hearts and in their lives, that that brings with it um, disciplines that are required to learn, to have a desire to learn, to continue to persevere at another math page or you know a, another school lesson. Yep, and it drives at the heart of what drives a person to learn in the first place. The world's ideas about learning is for the advancement of society or for the advancement of humanity or for your own personal advancement. You need to be the smartest, the best, the utmost, the uh, premier scientist, whatever the case is. The motivation is always selfish. But for the Christian, the motivation is not selfish. The motivation is to discover more about God and discover more about what his purposes are in this world. And so... As a dad, your job is first and foremost to disciple your children. Dad, you are the spiritual leader of your home. Now, unfortunately, um, most homes that have any kind of spiritual nature to them whatsoever are led spiritually by the mother. And I'm thankful to mothers and grandmothers who have raised their children for God over the years. It's fantastic. Um, But that's not the design that God gave, and I can prove it. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is kind of the go-to for homeschooling families. Um, But I want to point out some things from that chapter that people kind of tend to look over. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou, thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. 
So I'm going to stop there for just a second and make note that he is speaking to one generation, the second generation, and the third generation. Thou, thy son, and thy son's son. I'll also point out that he's speaking to the males. Okay? So we're talking about the commandments of the Lord, keeping the statutes. Okay? These are the, the things that God's commanded. The word of God is to be taught from generation to generation. And whose responsibility is it? It's the men's responsibility to teach their sons. And obviously that includes the daughters as well. But the sons and the son's son. So it's supposed to be generational, starting with the head of the household, the man. Verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them while thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. I'm going to put a pause on it there, but I wanted to point out sons, 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 and fathers mentioned in those short couple of verses, it hones in on the men. And it says, listen, it is your responsibility to teach these truths. And it does go ahead and it says children in verse 7. So let us know that he's not just saying to teach the men and to the neglect of the women, um, but that the men are to be the spiritual leaders of their own homes. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And then what does it say? They shall be one flesh. But it doesn't say that the woman's to leave her father and mother. That doesn't mean that she's not supposed to leave her house. It just is putting the impetus on the man. He is starting a new home. He's creating something new. And it is his responsibility to make sure that it thrives and flourishes, starting with the teaching of God's word. So the clear teaching is that the spiritual education is to be three things. It is to be constant, continual, and collective. Brittany does love a good alliteration. <laughs> We've got some alliteration here. Good job, babe. <laughs> Verse number seven, constant. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. How often are we sitting in our house? Okay? When thou walkest by the way. What way? Any way. Everywhere. All the time. When thou liest down. Well, you do that for at least ten hours a day, or eight hours a day-ish, right? And when thou risest up. In other words, right before you go to bed, right after you wake up, when you're sitting around at your house, when you're out walking around... It's supposed to be a constant teaching, constantly spiritually educating your children. This doesn't mean you're sitting down and reading Bible Doctrine 101 with your kids 24 hours a day. It doesn't mean you're lecturing your kids all the time, although at certain stages you may feel like that's all you do. But what it means is you're using every opportunity that God gives you to teach them about Him. Part of the opportunity that God gives you to teach them about Him is the education of your children. No. I've found, too, that creating a lifestyle of learning brings God into everything. I mean, if, if you try to do this, 
you will find a way to insert God into every moment of every day because all things are by him and for him and by him all things consist. Whatever you're learning about, history, science, uh, literature, math, it's all there. You might think numbers, math, what does math have to do with God? He is orderly. He has designed, he has purpose for everything. It's there. Look for it. And it is amazing to have the opportunity to, to share that with your kids, dad or mom. Home gives God the most undistracted access to our children's hearts and minds, and it gives parents the greatest freedom to influence them for God for their entire childhood. So that education is is meant to be constant. And you have, like I said, you have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to bring these things up, but you can't teach them things you don't know. And so it starts with you, Dad, and you, Mom, educating yourselves in what the Lord has done, whether that be what he has done in creation. Um, Charles Spurgeon was well known for being incredibly well read. He read so widely varied. He was known for just picking up books and reading things on science and history and all kinds of subjects, things that you wouldn't think a preacher would need to know about, but he was incredibly well versed in lots of different areas. The point being, the more that he knew, the more he was able to worship God for his grandeur and his creation. So your learning points you back to the Creator. Everything that was created was created by him and for him to bring him glory. Let me throw in here, too, in case you hear that and you're overwhelmed with, oh, I can't teach my kids things that I don't know, so I need to go and learn and read. And um, don't, don't be overwhelmed. You only need to be one step ahead of them. You need to be one day ahead of them in in lessons and learning and whatever. Um, It it is a lifelong pursuit for you and for your child. I know some people hear that and think, oh my goodness, there's so much to know. There's there's so many questions. How do I answer it? Um, just, Just take it one day at a time and just be curious yourself. Model that. Um, and if, if they ask a question and you don't know the answer, tell them, I don't know the answer, but we're going to find it together. And then you both get the opportunity to learn. And there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing wrong with learning together. I mean, I think that's more exciting for the kids than it is probably even for you. Um, learning something new for me is cool, but learning something, them having the opportunity to learn something with me, I think kids just assume parents know everything um, because we do know a whole lot more than they do. But when they get to learn something and you learn it at the same time, it's kind of like you get to discover it together. And that's Mm -hmm. fun. So don't be afraid to learn something. Don't feel like you have to have all the answers. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know, and look it up. That's that's fine. Um, So it's constant. Verses number uh, verse number eight and nine talk about it's continual. Um, Verse number eight, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt. Write them upon the posts of thy house and upon thy gates. Now I'll remind you, the Israelites had had a very uh, intimate understanding of the importance of the posts of their house. We just here, you know, when we were recording this, we went through Easter. They talked about the Passover and the blood on the doorposts and all of that kind of stuff. So when he's talking about writing it upon the doorposts, they they have an immediate picture in their head of what he's talking about. They got to pass those doorposts. Every single day. They're going to see them all the time. But in the verse right before, it says that bind them for a sign upon your hand. Do you know the international symbol for remembering something is to tie a string on your finger? All right. Does anybody ever actually tie a string on their finger? I don't know. I don't know if anybody ever actually did that. 
But if there's a little string tied around a finger, if you ever see that emblem, you know it means it's supposed to be a reminder. And we use, uh, I use Google for reminders all the time, and the Google symbol for reminder is a hand with a string tied around it. Why? Because it's, it's going to remind you because you have to look at your hand all the time. So when God's saying, bind these things for a sign upon thine hand, we write little notes to ourselves on the palms of our hands, you know? And the reason for it is you have to look at your hand all the time. You're going to look at your hand all the time. So this is not supposed to be something that they can easily forget. It's continuously before them. The truth of God's word is continuously before them. You're constantly reinforcing these things, but it's also continually before them all the time. We have things in our house where there's scripture posted up from place to place. We need to have some more of that. Um, But they have books that reinforce scriptural truth in our house that they look at. They have things from church that they're getting, little crafts and things that they're making. Scripture is continually before them all the time. So that's what that's talking about. And as a father, it's your job not just to tell them things, but to show them things, keep them continually in front of them. Um, And then last, if you really, you should read all the way through Deuteronomy 6 if you want to do a study on this. But if we skip ahead through to verse number 20 and 21, there's commands made here. So we have, um, this isn't isn't just meant for the children. It's meant for the whole group, the whole family, um, and not just for dad and not just for the kids. Verse number 20, and when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, what mean the testimonies? and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you. Then shalt thou say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. There's some interesting notes there, but we'll look at the pronouns that are in these verses. Starts with the sons. They say, When thy son asketh thee in time to come saying, What mean the testimonies and statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? And the son hasn't adopted these things for himself. He knows that the the Lord commanded these things to them. And then they turn around, the fathers, and says, Thou shalt say to thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now, if you'll remember, only the guys that were under the age of 20 were allowed to cross over Jordan and go into the promised land. So these fathers that it's talking about here, they were children when the Lord brought them out of the, out of the land. It was their fathers that these commandments were given to, and yet they're included in this. So when they're giving it to their sons, they're not saying this is something that daddy had to learn. No, they're saying this is something that you also have to learn because it can't stop with my faith. My kids can't live on dad's faith. They can't. If they're living on dad's faith, it's going to completely crumble. It's going to fall apart. And then Satan will pick apart dad's faith so fast that they won't even get out of the house. They can't live on dad's faith. It has to become their faith. And that's where this discipleship comes from. I can preach to them all the time. I can put scripture in front of them. But until it becomes theirs, it doesn't matter. And so dad's role is not just that of a provider. It's that of a spiritual leader in the house. He has to present an example that children will have a desire to follow. Okay, so I spent a lot of time on that. um, And I'm going to try to rush through some of this other stuff that I have. Because I think that was the most important part of it. 
But we need to speak specifically about um, some homeschooling things, and that has to start by Dad being the family leader, not just the spiritual leader of the home, but he's also the leader of his family um, in the practical stuff as well. Um, so John chapter number 20, verse number 17, this is after Jesus' resurrection, before he has ascended to the Father, um, speaking to Mary, he says, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended unto my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. So God calls himself our Father. And if God is our Father, he is the perfect example of a Father. So what does God the Father do? He takes care of our needs, so we should also take care of the needs of our family. He provides resources to learn what he wants us to know and encourages us to study. 1 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, and that um, needeth not to be ashamed. And so we have a responsibility to provide resources for our children to make sure that they have the opportunity to learn everything that they'll need in order to thrive in society, whether that be mathematics or science or especially spiritual things. And um, so, again, part of that's going to have to do with mom, and I'll get there into it, to that in just a second. Um, God is always available to us in prayer, and dad, likewise, should always be available to uh, mom and to the kids. Uh, God is constantly, our father is constantly present in our lives. Dads, you can't do any of this stuff if you're not present in the lives of your kids. You can't be there all day. I know you got to work a job. You got to do, you know, the normal things that dads have to do in order to provide for the family. Maybe you can't be the stay at home homeschooling dad. That's perfectly okay, but you can still be present in the lives of your kids. You have to be there when they need you. God believes in what we will become. Now, this is an interesting one, but if you look at Jesus and really all throughout the scripture, we find an interesting characteristic of God is that he is often renaming people. Um, and one of the things that I think of is Peter. Peter's name is not Peter. Peter's name is Simon, um, which has an interesting meaning in and of itself. But the one I want to look at is the name Peter, which means a rock or a small pebble. Um, but God, Jesus, saw Peter for who he was, who he would become, not who he was currently. Peter was anything but a rock. He was all over the place. Um, but he would become a rock. And we have two books of the Bible that were named after this guy because he wrote them. And they, they contain a lot of solid doctrine. Peter eventually became a rock. Um, Abraham. Originally, his name was Abram, which meant exalted father or holy father. Um, but Abraham means father of multitudes. God named him this before he had any children, believing in who he would become. Isaac, an interesting name. God gave Abram, Abraham and Sarah the name Isaac before Isaac was born. The name means laughter because Sarah had no joy. She had no child. She had nothing to laugh about except her laughing at God. And God gave her the name laughter for her child believing that she would have that joy. So God is looking forward into the lives of his children. And we as parents have an opportunity to look forward into the lives of our children. And you're not going to change your child's name probably, <laughs> but you have an opportunity to believe that they can become something more than anybody else. I know more about my kids than anybody outside of my household does. 
Brittany knows more about our kids. We know what their talents are. We know what their, their pitfalls are and we know what they're able to become and believing that they can indeed become that and more than what we know is so important is your child. They don't have a vision for themselves at five, six, seven. And if you ask almost any 16 year old, what they're going to do with their life, they tell, they do that 16 year old thing where they shrug their shoulders and go on because they don't, but they also have no direction. And part of that is because most of them have no, their parents haven't given them any kind of direction or inspiration or encouraged them to pursue any kinds of hobbies or dreams or talents. I love that you brought out this about Jesus and, especially with his disciples here, um, because, you know, we find so much uh, of an immaturity in the disciples. Um, and I think sometimes with our children, I mean, like you said, we know them better than anyone. Um, and we get a front row seat to the maturing process, which means there are many years of immaturity. Um, but instead of letting that rule um, letting uh, that maybe even sometime be adversarial of, you know, kind of us against them trying to, you know, there's there's all the the jargon of, you know, bend the will and strong-willed kids and trying to bring their maturity along. This idea of the example that Jesus set in believing in what they will become. This isn't believing that, you know, you could be a doctor someday or you could be the president of the United States or, you know, it's not quite that. It is believing that they will spiritually mature, that they will develop, that they will walk that sanctification road um, and, and being their champion in the immature times, in the times where emotions are high and you're um, in the the midst and the trenches of navigating all of that. You know, we have little ones. Um, we don't see a lot of the fruit of our labors right now. Um, but believing forward that if we follow the path that God has set, if we follow this order, if we seek to follow biblical principles, that we can with confidence believe in what the potential that they have to become is mature followers of Christ who make a difference, who are a rock, who have an impact on this world for the gospel's sake. I think a prime example of that is the other two disciples that Jesus renamed or gave a special name to were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, um, who were hiding behind their mother to try and ask Jesus a difficult question. Um, about being pre- being preferred in heaven. And Jesus renamed those guys to the sons of thunder. You know, the, these guys that are going to hide behind their mama and they can't ask the question themselves, so they're going to have her ask. But those guys, he calls the sons of thunder, not because they currently were the sons of thunder, but because someday they would become great preachers of the gospel. Do you know what I have to believe? Is that as Jesus was was calling these disciples, these names of strength, of spiritual maturity, as we believe forward into who our children could become through the power of Christ, that it will inspire them to be that person. Um, especially with Knox, we use a lot of this language. You know, we we tell him on a on a frequent basis that we are praying that he'll be a warrior for truth, um, a champion for righteousness. Now, those are big things for him, but he's all about knights and swords and chivalry, and he loves it. Um, but I I pray that as we believe forward, as we use that language, as we try to train him in righteousness, in truth, 
that he will aspire to be what we believe that he can be. Yeah, and I think it's important. You you can't lead your child um, like that unless you know them. Jesus knew these men. Now, he's God. He had an intimate knowledge of their internal workings. Um, but you as a parent have an intimate knowledge of your child if you're paying attention. Um, and if you have the right kind of relationship with them, you can speak to them in ways that no one else can. We know to have that kind of language with Knox because we know and understand Knox. Um we would speak differently to Eden than we would speak to Knox. She doesn't communicate. She doesn't have the same head language that he has. But you have to know them to be able to communicate these things to them and to get the truth in them that God desires to have in them. So we don't do catechism in our home, but I've heard that that one of the catechisms is, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the objective of everything in our lives. And education is just one aspect that falls under that. But in we believe for our family that the best way to accomplish this for our home and for our instruction of our children to see them grow spiritually mature, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever um, is is to home educate, is to use our home as as a tool to see this development happening. And believing forward in their lives connects their present to the future that God has created them for. Again, like Simeon said, as you come to know your children, you will see different things that they have aptitude for. That doesn't mean that if they're great at sports that you know you just say, oh, you're going to be the best ball player ever and we're just going to pursue that with passion. Um, maybe, but this is this is broader. This is connecting their their now to the purpose that God has created them for. Um, hey, one of our kids is really great at music, and enjoy that, love that. But there's a there's a bigger reason why God gave you that talent, and it is to worship Him, to glorify Him, to enjoy Him through the gift of music, or, you know, it could be sports, it could be creativity, it could be whatever. Um, but in order to believe forward into what they can become, like Sim said, you have to know them. But I think that is, we're really belaboring this point, but I think that is so important as parents. Um, like I said, you have to be the champion for your children. No one um, is going to step in and fill this role like the parent can and like they should. Eden is our more scientifically minded child. Um, but just the other day, I was reading actually a prayer letter from another missionary family, and they said they had a, a lady in their church that was um, wanting to use her uh, ability as a dentist for God, and she didn't know how to do that. And then COVID happened, and she ended up having to go house to house with her dental practice because people couldn't come to her anymore. And then they had the idea, hey, well, let's set up a dental clinic at the church. And so that kids and parents can come and we can share the gospel with them while they're waiting to get their dental care done. Um, but I took that I took that prayer letter and I brought that to Eden and I said, hey, look, this is a way in which someone used their talents in science to glorify God and to use it for the gospel. And I don't think Eden had any clue what I was doing, but the point of that conversation was to show her yet again that whatever God wants to do with her life, she can use it for his glory. As a father, part of your role as the family leader is to lead your family. That may seem pretty basic, but that's what it is. It's more than just making money and providing for physical needs and um, making sure they make it to sports practice. It, there's so much more to it than that. 
So the education of your child is a wholehearted, whole rounded child education that is inspiring them to be all they can be. Again, starting with their theology, not for the world, not for themselves, be all you can be for God and for his purposes in this world. Um, Thirdly, being the father and leader of your home when it comes to the education involves co-laboring with mom. Um, If you're like me and your family works the way mine does, Mom does most of the education, the schoolwork stuff. When we get to high school and science and math, I might have to do more. <laughs> yeah, you'll take over. <laughs> but um, it's co-laboring with mom. So let me put it to you this way. God designed Adam and Eve as equal co-laboring partners. That did not mean that they had equal responsibilities or equal roles. What it meant was they were equals, co-laboring, and that's how God designed them. When the fall occurred, those roles were no longer um, co-laboring, they became adversarial. Not because of God, but because of man's nature having been changed. God designed Adam and Eve as equals, but they had different roles. When she was perfect, Eve had no trouble submitting to Adam because he was perfect. He didn't lord over her. But when the fall occurred, all of a sudden men began to lord over women in ways that they weren't supposed to. Adam had no trouble loving Eve because she was perfect and selfless and she loved him and she submitted to him. But when the fall occurred, that stopped happening and Adam no longer loved her the way that he ought to because he was sinful and because she was sinful. And so we live out the rest of our lives. Now that we are saved, we have an opportunity again to try and restore God's perfect order in our homes, though we'll never be able to do that perfectly But as we follow him, we try to do that. The point is that we're co-laboring. When you get married, the two of you become one flesh. It means you have one mind, one set of goals, one set of objectives, and you're to work towards those together. So homeschooling is not mom's thing. It's the both of yours thing. You going to work is not your thing. She may not be able to be there, but it's still about the family. It is should involve both of you in some way, form, or fashion. Today, dads tend to subcontract rather than co-labor with their wives. We subcontract out certain tasks that become their tasks, and then we have certain tasks that become our tasks, rather than actually leading your family. The worst kind of leaders are the kinds of leaders who give other people assignments that they aren't willing to do themselves. All right, We've all seen this in the workplace. If you've ever worked a secular job, the worst kind of leaders are the ones that send other people to do things that they won't do themselves. Don't send your wife to do something you're not willing to do yourself. All right, Don't have your wife take care of all of the school, even if you don't homeschool your, your kids. Sometimes we have a tendency to just let mom take care of all of the PTA meetings and all of that kind of stuff. Don't do that. You're a co-laborer with her. And that starts by loving your wife. Um, You can look that up in Ephesians 5. I won't get into all of that. But that was a radical statement for the culture uh, in which it was given. Women were treated like property and trophies. They weren't really loved in the way that they were supposed to. They They existed to give stature and status to a man. Boaz... And Joseph, uh, as in Joseph and Mary, are beautiful uh, examples of godly men who broke that mold. They actually loved and cherished their wives. So we co-labor with one another, and we co-labor for the children. Interesting, Hebrews eleven twenty three. speaking of Moses, it says that Moses' parents 
by faith put Moses in that basket. Although, if you read in Exodus, it speaks much more about his mother. But in Hebrews 11, the chapter of faith, it talks about his parents, plural, meaning the dad was in, is invested and heavily involved in that child's life and education, and he ended up becoming Moses. So obviously, it was a good early education. He only had a few years with his parents, but it was an effective few years. So the parents are one flesh, working as one unit, and when it comes to homeschooling the kids, dad... It is imperative that you be involved in not just the um, spiritual aspects, but also in the actual learning aspects and the secular aspects. Work, pray, and educate together as a couple. You may have different roles, but you have one objective, and that is to raise children for the glory of God. So this episode was definitely much more foundational, um, laying that, that spiritual foundation of what the dad's role is, not just in homeschooling, um, but in the home, in parenting. And again, like Simeon said, co-laboring with the mom. And then that all stems into um, education, whatever means of education you choose. Obviously, we're a homeschooling family. We're very passionate about that. If you want to chat with me more about that, you're welcome to message me. I'll talk about it all day long. Whatever way you choose to educate your children, um, dad and mom play a vital role in, in their upbringing, in their development, uh, spiritually, specifically. Um, but we're going to wrap this episode up here and um, join us next time in part two, where we're going to come back and share just some practical um, ways that dads can really specifically um, get involved, hands-on in the homeschooling, a little more practical look at that. I hope that the No Higher Calling podcast has been a blessing to you. If so, please subscribe, share with your friends, and engage with me on Instagram at nohighercalling underscore. You can also subscribe to receive the No Higher Calling encouragement email on my website, which is www.nohighercalling.org. This includes podcast notes, what I'm reading, spiritual encouragement, a glimpse into my home, and some of my favorite products and resources. You can also enjoy more content on the No Higher Calling YouTube channel. I pray that this podcast will encourage you to fall more in love with Jesus and to be the Christian woman he's called you to be. Thanks for listening.